From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, you are listening to Art Waves, a mini-series about art, local artists, and spaces open to art in Mendocino County. I'm Victor Palmino, and with Marty Dorling, we will explore the local creative sector with conversations about art, creative spaces, inspiration, and local spaces to see or make art and more. In episode 5, I visit three arts organizations and talk about their work and the state of the art in Mendocino County. And Marty Dorling talks to artist Doc Johnson from Paperwood Pottery. We begin with part one, the Arts Council of Mendocino County. Alyssa Weir, Executive Director of the Arts Council of Mendocino County. Briefly, just tell me a little bit, what is the Arts Council of Mendocino County? Well, thank you for having me on, Victor. The Arts Council of Mendocino County is a countywide nonprofit organization that supports and promotes the arts in Mendocino County. So our biggest programs are the publicity support programs, and those fall into a couple of different categories. We have an online calendar of events that is searchable also do a weekly email every Monday that goes out with the coming week's listings. So that's a little bit more, and it's organized by film, theater, etc. We also do a printed calendar that goes to lodging and some bulletin boards, primarily on the coast where we know a lot of people from out of town are strolling around and looking for things to do. And then we publish a brochure that lists all the galleries, museums, music venues um, in the county, again by region. And then our website also has directories there. So if you're an individual artist, you can create a listing for yourself there and promote yourself on our website. And that too is searchable. So if you're looking for muralists, you can search by that term. If you're looking for painters that you like, let's say you want to, um, you know, showcase some visual art and you're a doctor's office and you're just looking for local artists that you want to um, connect with and can find artists there. So I really encourage individual artists to upload some images of their work because that is one way that people can find you and find your work and, and reach out to you. And then uh, our other sort of big category is the Get Arts in the Schools program, which is a K-12 arts enrichment program throughout the county. Again, um, we have applications opening up for that soon. So artists um, who want to partner up with a classroom teacher can apply to bring um, an arts enrichment project to a classroom. And then we also <laughs> do a lot of public art programs and projects. One thing that's coming up really soon is the annual Art Champion Awards. And this is a program where we solicit nominations from the community. So it, um, you can nominate individuals or businesses in various categories. And then all of the nominations go before the Arts Council Board of Directors, and they select an honoree for that year. And then the Board of Supervisors create a pro proclamation honoring those individuals or businesses. And um, you can find the nomination form by going to artsmendocino.org, um, A-R-T-S, mendocino.org. Does the Mendocino uh, Council provide uh, grants or things like that for others? Yeah, so the grants that I, I just mentioned, the Get Arts in the Schools program, or GASP is our acronym, those are grants. We also have made grants um, in the aftermath of disasters. So 
We granted funding to fire survivors after the 2017 fire if they suffered losses of income or materials. And we had many artists who did lose everything in, the, in the, those fires. Also, some CARES Act funding we granted, re-granted from the California Arts Councils. And then when we commission public art and award a, an opportunity to an artist that way, it's usually grant funding that funds the public art project. So those are our main categories. We don't have um, general operating grants or anything like that. We're actually a pretty small, lean budget organization. We're an art service organization is, yeah. is a good way to think of it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. If you can describe the art scene in Mendocino County, how, how would you describe it? Well, resilient is probably one of the words that comes to mind, like is top of mind for me, you know, creative and resilient. I think our communities are all very do it yourself. You know, there's, there's kind of a spirit of like, let's just make it happen. And I think that is really needed in any kind of small rural community where it's like, nobody's looking for someone else to do it. If you have a good idea, you know that you have to kind of make it happen yourself, find like-minded people who want to see that thing happen and then just do it. And then I think there's just a lot of long-term dedication. Like I'm thinking about our cooperative art galleries and our theaters and they're nonprofit organizations. So there's that whole framework for support, which is, you know, a board of directors and 501c3 status and seeking donations from individuals in the community, seeking sponsorship from businesses. I think we're just all really, really lean because we're not, this is not a big metropolitan area with like deep pocketed corporate givers, you know, funders that they're just like you would find in the Bay Area. And a lot of the philanthropic dollars are also restricted geographically. So we don't have a lot of even philanthropic dollars. We have the Community Foundation of Mendocino County, which is wonderful and does a really, really good job of supporting the nonprofit sector in this county. You know, and we also have individuals like who are generous and um, consistent, but there just are so many challenges to organizations. Uh, but I think we're not limited there in terms of creativity and in terms of um, vision. I think, I think we have all of that. That's yeah. what I've been finding with all these conversations that I have with different groups. And we talked last week with the uh, Deep Valley Art Collective and the Medium Gallery. And it seems like there is a very vibrant and, and, and big art community here, not only for uh, in the creative Art, people making art, but also people supporting art and going to events and trying to uh, trying to have a that that uh, life that art brings to a community. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think it, you know, we're we're nestled not just Mendocino County, but to the north and to the south. You know, we have that that similar spirit of very connected creative people and a creative economy that is incredibly strong given all the challenges we're, we're sort of the the optimistic future i think for this area around especially around tourism and i guess that's the reason you have that program like you were mentioning the uh, our champions of art programs mm-hmm. yeah like because kind of like reflect that the art champion awards program is is really about celebrating people who are doing a lot for the arts, whether they're business people or whether they're educators. And then just to encourage more of that, I think it's meant to inspire <laughs> increased that support. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, 
really to to thank and recognize them, but also to inspire like increased um, patronage of the arts, increased awareness of the good things that are happening. So we want to hear about them because the, that's what the nomination form is for: is to tell those stories of those all these wonderful people. Usually, what I do every time that I move to a new place is I look for the arts council because it's usually the place where I'm going to find resources that I'm going to have an idea of what how the art scene looks in that region and it's kind of like a specific for every region and for every space yeah i most arts councils have you know their mission is to support that to support whatever it is that's happening and the community that's there and what they're doing so they're so similar in terms of like the mission but in terms of the programs and what they do it's really unique to that community absolutely and then also of course the state Arts Council, and then, of course, the federal is the National Endowment for the Arts, so NEA. And increasingly, I think with the pandemic, there's been an opportunity to collaborate across county borders, and so there's been more regional collaboration, because if you think about it, we're all struggling with a lot of the same things, like housing or, you know, there, there's, or like being in a rural area versus a, an urban area, like what are those challenges? Um, economic development and, and how the creative economy fits into the county as a whole. And, and increasingly, I think there's an effort to talk to and collaborate with, with each other because these challenges are so similar and maybe some of the strengths are and we can learn from each other about what's working really well. So yeah, I'm kind of excited about some of the the state funding that's kind of coming down the pipeline that is intended to get regions to collaborate mm -hmm. in that way. And you're getting a good support from the county? Yeah, the, the county of Mendocino is a partner around the Art Champion Awards and is also a funding supporter. And then the California Arts Council, State Arts Council, is also very supportive and individual members and donors. Do they see there is investment in the arts economy and the creative economy? They do. It's, it's always our work to remind our funding partners and government agencies of the importance of the arts in the creative economy, in the economy in general. And often they do get it, but it's, you know, I think whenever you consider the arts, you, you have to hold a paradox in your mind. It's, that's one of the challenges of doing this work is that we are both a vulnerable industry and also like one of the smartest strategies you can engage to, you know, increase tourism and livability and attract and retain skilled workers to a region, attract businesses to a region. Like you need to have your arts and culture to be very strong. So, so, but it's hard for humans to hold those, those things in mind at the same time. Like we're so used to thinking of the arts as like, you know, a vul like vulnerable or, yeah. or, or a frill or like not super necessary, but mm -hmm. we are super necessary. And yet, yes, it's true. Like we are vulnerable. I, I like one of my colleagues, actually, I heard describe arts and culture and how it fits into the, you know, the broader whole of a community as a keystone species. And I think that's, you know, that, that kind of, you can be vulnerable and also be very, very important, yeah. very, you know, crucial. So, yeah. It, and I, to keep the example of the pandemic, if it wasn't for arts and culture, that 
a lot of the isolation wouldn't be worse, you know, because people were consuming uh, television, were consuming art, were consuming yeah, a lot of to things. Music, that, exactly. Knitting. Art was the the safety net <laughs> yes. for the pandemic for many people. Yeah, second responders is somehow is sometimes how it's described. Artists as second responders. Yeah. yeah. The city of Lexington, where I come from, they had a program where they have artists in uh, working with different cabinets with the city. So, for example, they have a poet on the transportation department, uh, they have a comedian slash actor with another department, but that's something that they use to use the creative capacity of artists involved in what the city is doing and see how the re that relationship can help each other. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, I, I've heard of, of other cities doing that and it's, I just think it's so brilliant and, and that's, I'd love to see more of that, just embedding artists, embedding creative thinkers into environments where they tend not to be. It just it makes everything stronger. It's like having a dinner party. You need to have, you know, <laughs> a <laughs> lot. You need the, the variety. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah and there, it allows people to think about their process and their work in a different way. You know, yeah. think and redesign, the redesign everything, redesign systems, redesign um, the objects that we live with, you know, design thinking and the iterative process of that, like is something that artists are really good at, like persevering, and trying something different and coming at it from a different angle and rethinking, you know, why do we, why is it like this? Like we could just completely so what if we see it from yeah. this other perspective. Yeah. yeah. So uh, how long have you been in your position? Since 2010. Yeah. How did you end up doing arts uh, administration? Uh, well, I, let's see, I have a master's degree from Columbia university. Um, and it's, it's a, in arts administration. So I studied this. And I've always, I've always worked in the arts. I worked so many different, like in for-profit galleries, in studios, managing artists' studios for a affinity group of foundations. So more like research and conferences and also consulting, writing reports for foundations, nonprofits. Like I, I, I think, I don't, I, I'm, it's hard to trace it back to exactly where it started, but I think... I, w I wanted probably to be like a poet, a writer originally. And um, I think I was terrified of like going in that direction. And so like art was my safety net, <laughs> if you can believe it. Like, uh -huh. um, and I always have felt that it's important to live aligned with your values and to like, you know, really truly know what those values are and then, you know, have your day kind of be structured around those values as much as possible. So you're not doing something that doesn't feel right. And I had, I've had some of those jobs too, like temping at banks in you know, Manhattan and just realizing like, this is not me. It's not at all who I am. Like, so yeah, it's, it's aligned with my values is probably the the most succinct way to put it. And artists tend to be happy people yeah. and you know, <laughs> you want to be around happy people. So how do you see the position changing? And like you went through a pandemic, you now you're going into like different economic changes. Arts always get affected by everything that happened. How do you see the council today compared to uh, 12 years ago? You know, because the mission is to support the field, it's it's not like I don't know if structurally it's it's super different, but I have seen that there's 
there's a lot more friendliness to public art in the community. So we're busy around public art in a way that we, we weren't at the beginning. And so there's a lot of like successful projects that kind of gain momentum. And now there's, there's just like a lot more happening in that, in that way, which is great. You know, I don't think I've ever felt like we can just relax and like, like everything will take care of itself. Like that's never the way it is working in, for a nonprofit or for an arts organization. And after the the killing of George Floyd, like there's been much more of like, no, like let's just really get this right and make it succinct and really like, you know, tending to place and tending to relationships and tending to community and honoring all of that. Like has, I feel like that's kind of moved more into like a central position. And it, so there's, more of like a simplicity, I think, to our, our strategic plan, which I really like. It's like a one-page, just elegant kind of um, document. But, you know, maintaining the programs, like, and just keeping, keeping things going and being flexible enough to respond to opportunity. Like, if there's a really good idea and it's generating a lot of excitement and momentum, like making sure that, that there's, you know, wind under the wings of that idea, whether it's like an idea for a gallery or an idea for a mural in a certain spot or a school. And I think sometimes it just takes years. Like it takes a long time for a seed to actually germinate and, and, and break through the soil, Mm -hmm. like, and then let alone, you know, become a, a, a plant and grow. And so it's a lot of like long-term. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a process. It's a it's a big cycle. Well, Alison, thank you so much for uh, this time and for your time and for the work that you're doing. And I'm looking forward to uh, have conversations in the future about how the council is doing. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. You are listening to Our Waves, and on part two of today's episode, we talk to the Willett Center for the Arts. Sasha Thomas, manager of the Willett Center for the Art. Gary Martin, I'm a board member and I'm the curator for the Willett Center for the Arts. Sasha and Gary, thank you so much for uh, your time and for accepting the invitation. Thank you for inviting us on air. You're welcome. First question, what is the Willett Art Center? It's an oasis for the arts in Mendocino County. You know, we have so many things going on here. It's a continuous flow of activity, creative activity. There's constantly something going on, constantly something going on, yes. Yeah, and I think the most inspiring thing is the story of how we were created by regular creative people who wanted a place to show each other their work and celebrate together. The gallery has had a show every month for 23 years. And African dance has been taking place here every Thursday for 23 years. Yes, in the founding, the diversity of what has happened here is astounding. Frontier twirlers square dance, African dance, all kinds of meetings and performances and concerts. And we are an unendowed, not-for-profit, founded by community members. 
So you survive in your events and what we you survive. Yeah, we survive on the kindness of strangers. <laughs> a lot of these people we do know, and uh, the people very kindly uh, give us money to support the arts in town. Yeah, we have an annual member drive, and then we solicit sponsorships, local businesses, and individuals, and then we sell some art, and we also benefit from rental income from our great room and our classroom. We are in a very beautiful building, like you say. It's a building that has been renovated uh And tell me a little bit about what you were saying about the building and how, what's the history of the building. I love to tell this story. So in 1926, this building and the building next door, the Carnegie Library, were built by the Women's Improvement Club of Willits with logging prosperity. And then the building went into great disrepair for many years. The people who founded this art center didn't even keep any records of what they were doing. So we have to use oral history. But it's definitely true that 25, 26, 27, or 28 years ago, <laughs> a group of people went to the city and they said, if you let us use the building, we will renovate it through volunteer and in-kind contribution and create what this beautiful building is now. And the only thing they opened at first, 23 years ago, was the galleries, which are now called the Gary Martin Galleries. And then over time, they renovated the rest of the building. And upstairs is our great room, that was renovated, but it was purpose-built as a ballroom. So it has awesome acoustics. And then like our front door and the handle going up the stairs are by Hugh Wiley, who's an artist who lived in Willits, but whose work we later found out was actually in the Smithsonian. And you were saying that there are people that come here and they see, they tell you, oh, I helped putting that there or I was part of the renovation. So it has a lot of connections with the community. Yes, there are people who are like, you'll walk outside and people will say, I tore down the old beams upstairs. There was a woman who came in December from Oregon for the small works show and the craft fair. And she said, I made that little ceramic rose up on top of the stairs. How is the reaction of the community to have a community center here? Oh, like I said, it's an oasis for the arts. Mm -hmm. The community is very receptive and very proud of the arts center. We're the only town in America of 5,000 people or less who have an individual building for an arts center. The other communities have, you know, they in their city halls or in their libraries, they have their art shows and things like that. Yeah, here locally, though, people take great pride in the art center. You know, Victor, during COVID, we had to close for eight months and we had no revenue coming in. And I actually cried when I opened the envelopes because we asked our community to give more than they'd given before in a really challenging time. And people did. 
And uh, what kind of activities do you have? We have a monthly gallery show curated by Gary, who's an award-winning curator. Every month for the show, we have an opening. That's usually on a Friday or Saturday night. We have an opening reception where you can meet the artist. We have dance classes. Uh, right now, we have Afro Samba. We have something called Now Let's Dance. It's an improv dance experience. We have African dance, like I say, for 23 years. We have workshops taught by artists, which is something that our board really took an initiative with last year. So right now, we have ceramics. And Nancy Collins is teaching a watercolor workshop, but we've had basket making and it's really fun for us to pay artists to teach classes. We had a children's art class this summer. We participate in the art walk in Willett. We had a concert, a fundraiser concert last month. We have concerts here. We used to have ecstatic dance, which hopefully will come back post-COVID. We have life drawing, which is taking place right now across the hall, which has been here with a live model. If people go to org and subscribe to our website or just look at our classes or events every month, they can see the exhibit. And what we're offering, if they subscribe, they'll receive the email newsletter, which is new in the past like year and a half. Mm. So you pay the artist. So it's not only an art center, but it's also a place where artists can keep their living besides just selling their art or doing their production. The major portion of the proceeds when a person takes a course or a workshop at the Willett Center for the Art go to the dance teacher, the artist who teaches journaling or ceramics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if they sell their work here as well. Tell me a little bit about the curation process. Well, I start a year in advance to uh, fill spaces for uh, for each month. And uh, as far as curating goes, I look around. I, I travel all over Mendocino County, and uh, as a matter, we we are open to all of Mendocino County. We take all artists from anywhere in the county. But as far as curating goes, I mean, it's a matter of going to visit the artists, take a, you know, go through their studio, see what they do, select items unless you're going to be working on it through the year, in which case, you know, I have to go back. I'll go back and take another look and see what they're up to or how far along they are, just to make sure that uh, things are coming along. But we, we've been very, very successful working with artists. I mean, they, uh, they love being here. And Gary has premiered people who have never shown their art before. Last month, Mary March. A few months before, Salvador Andrade, who's a young Latino artist who'd never shown his work, Gary has showed his work twice, and we show really established artists like Laura Fogg. And it speaks to Gary's skill as a curator mm-hmm. to see something that maybe no one else has ever seen that's worth showing. And taking the time to go and visit the artist studio and creating a relationship. Oh, yeah, you have to. You mm-hmm. absolutely have to because you're going to work together on putting this show up. And uh, as a matter of fact, what I do, what I've been doing lately is just having the artists drop off the work, and I've been going ahead and putting the show together myself. It's much easier that way. Most of them, ninety-nine percent of them, trust me to do it. They've seen what I've done before. 
How long have you been uh, involved with the center? This is my sixth year. And how had changed in those six years? Uh, it's grown stronger. We've grown stronger. Uh, you know, we've involved more activities. We've involved uh, reaching out with education in particular. Mm -hmm. You know, as Sasha mentioned, you know, with classes and such. But I also uh, run around to all the schools in Willits, Covalo, and Laytonville and give them art history lessons. Mm -hmm. I do that once a month. And... Uh, So anyway, I reach about uh, 2,000 kids a month. So that's kind of like an outreach project. So that's just another one of the things that you don't even see that the art center does. Mm -hmm. and, and it looks like it's alive. I mean, you get into the building and you immediately have the sense of like, okay, this place is busy. This place is happening. Yes. Yeah, well, it is. It, it's just a constant flow of people. Gary always reminds our community that it is their art center. He says, it's your art center. Yeah, even when the galleries are open Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., and they're hosted by volunteer gallery hosts. Mm -hmm. But this building operates. It could be a baby shower. It could be a business meeting. There can be a dance class. There are always activities happening in this building seven days a week. Do you have a guest speaker series, right? Yes, we do. Yeah, we bring in um, the Community Foundation was very uh, kind in sponsoring this. But what we have are um, professors coming down from the Bay Area and coming in and talking about different things. We have uh, Jennifer Reisinger from San Jose State. Uh, Professor Jennifer Reisinger was just here. And she talked about uh, the Greek deities in art. Yeah, uh, we had Ruby Ming here who talked about uh, the impact of Japanese art on Impressionism. We have coming up next month, uh, not September, but in October, Arthur Zarate. And he's coming in uh, to talk about Islam, break some of the myths that concern it. Lauren Madsen, who's local, he'll be talking about conceptual art in December. And Amy Davis uh, is coming down from the Bay Area, and she's going to talk about art in the 21st century. And uh, Dr. Mary Oaken, she's coming to talk to us about California art next year. They're well attended. Yeah, they're well yeah. attended. Yeah, some of our strongest patrons and donors and people who love the Art Center of all ages really appreciate the intellectual stimulation. And Gary is also... Not speaking about himself, because he carried the art talks for years. And even during COVID, we had, I was on one Zoom art talk where couples were in their living room with their glass of wine, <laughs> participating with Gary. Tell me a little bit then about the current exhibition. The current exhibition is just displaying. Uh, I I thought about thought about. I I didn't want to do another quilt show because I just did one two years ago. I thought, what can we do every year in September? I try to do a made in Mendocino show, and that's what this is. And it's fifteen different artists and what they could do with fabric. So as you can see, one person uh, Ursula Parch did an installation piece. 
Pearl Merrill brought in the clothes that she uh, manufactures. Was any kind of fabric? No, with whatever the artist wanted to do. I, I just told them oh, I didn't want a lot of quilts. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, do yeah. something with fabric. Do something creative with fabric, which many of them did. And you said it changed every month. So what are the, what's coming next? What's coming next is an art auction for... Yeah, we do this. It used to be an annual thing, but during COVID, we had to cancel it, of course, for a few years. But uh, basically, artists donate work to us mm -hmm. to sell to support the art center. Mm. So, so that's open to any kind it's of open to any kind of art, any kind mm -hmm. of art that comes in. We also ask donations from um, merchants along Main Street and uh, services. Three years ago, somebody gave us a couple yards of gravel to auction off, <laughs> which was kind of fun. Uh, and the sil—it's going to be a silent auction that will culminate. It will close at the gala. So tell me a little bit more about the gala. So it's going to be—you're going to be celebrating instead of the twenty. It's going to be the twenty. October 29th. We're going to have live music. Mm -hmm. We're still settling on the band that's going to be here. We're going to have food and beverages included. We're going to have a costume parade with a grand prize. In the coming weeks, you will be able to buy tickets online on our website. And it's going to be fun because yeah. that's the other thing is Willits people are fun. Uh, what's the best way for people to find information? WillitsCenterForTheArts.org Well, thank you both so much and I'm looking forward to come here and see all the great uh, events and exhibitions you have going on. Well, good. Well, thank you very much, Victor. Thank you. Welcome to Mendocino. Thank you. <laughs> This is Our Waves on KCYX. On part three, we visit the Ukiah Center for the Arts. My name is Laura Fogg, and I am a member of the Corner Gallery and a board member of Arts Center Ukiah. Tell me a little bit about the organization. It is a nonprofit organization. Our mission is basically to support art in the Ukiah Valley. And we've been in existence for pretty close to 15 years now. Uh, we do have a board. Our place is in the back of the corner gallery on State Street in Ukiah. Um, it's a small space. Now we used to rent a building, but now we're We downsized. <laughs> we have shows every month that are open to the public. That's the whole point, so that the theme is something that might attract different people from different places every month. So we put out the word for, you know, the calls for artists, and people respond and bring their work in. Then we have the first Friday opening celebration every month. You're going to do a show in November that is about uh, immigration. Well, that's going to be in October. October, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. yeah. We're trying to get some themes that are, like, really will encompass the needs and interests of lots of people in our community. So we're really trying to reach out, and we thought immigration would be something that affects a lot of people because probably at least 50% of the people who live here came from somewhere else um, or their parents came from somewhere else and if you think about their grandparents maybe it's maybe it's 75 percent of the people here so we we just want to talk about the issues related to immigration you know where do people feel like they belong what's their story do they feel like they belong here 
or do they feel like they belong there? And the subtitle is in English, neither from here nor there, or in Spanish, or ni de aquí ni de allá. There's anybody who comes from another place is displaced. And what does that feel like? What's the story? Is it, was it a good move, a bad move? Are they ambivalent? What does that particular person want to tell the rest of us? And we're hoping that people who come to see this show will be interested, you know, to see other people's stories. Because if you've lived here a long time, you don't even think about not belonging because you do belong. And that's what happens, especially in a small town. This is your place if you were born here or if you've, you know, like in my case, um, my grandchildren are the fourth generation of the same family to live here. And I've been here my entire adult life. They, I married into a family who've been here for generations. Yeah, so it's that sense of belonging, that sense of like we are, this is our town. Yeah, yeah, ours. And then that's a good question. Like, wait a minute, is it ours? Because it isn't ours because there were people here before before the white people came before the you know the immigrant before the settlers from the east coast and you know there's a whole nother issue right there it's just what's the deal what happened to those people who were displaced when the white people showed up so that's another story of immigration yeah that's the interesting thing with immigration it's had so many different variants it's, yeah and they have and every person immigration immigrant story is going to be different yeah, it's going to be yeah. different because people come from different countries from different cultures mm -hmm. but there is something in common that is like like that uh, assimilation process and then there's the language barriers too what's if you're an english speaking person who moves here from you know la that's one kind of immigration if you do not speak english and you come here from across an ocean or across a you know a frontier then what's it like? We're just looking to invite people to come into this gallery, which is a safe, beautiful space, and share their experiences. So that's the kind of like the main idea to start a conversation. Exactly, yeah. And we, as, as the Art Center Ukiah, we don't have a position on anything. We're the host. We're not looking for anything. We're not expecting anything. We're not judging anything. But we want, what we do want is for lots of people to come here and see each other's lives, you know, to see. We're, and we're not looking for just the negative. We're looking for the positive. You know, what about being here is working for you? Why did you come? Did it meet your expectations? Do you have um, opportunities that you never had before? So we're not looking for anything particular. We're just wanting this, these various stories to have a platform. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. There's performance art, which we can't do here. Visual art is another medium. And people who stand there and look at a piece of art on the wall made by somebody will have a reaction to it. Yeah, and this, that's something that we all have in common as human, like pretty much everywhere, every place yeah. has some type of art, yeah. has some type of communicating that way. So it's kind of like a common language. It, exactly, and art does not, that's a wonderful point, because art does not require words. And I don't have to understand Spanish or Swahili or 
any Japanese to be able to look at somebody's piece of visual art and understand, you know, what's in their heart. What are the dates for the show? The show will be up in the month of October. We need to have the work up in time to hang it for first Friday in October, which is October 7th. So work has to be brought in here on October 4th. Okay. And the gallery is 201 South State Street in Ukiah, and we're open from 11 to 5. And then uh, also Wednesday, October 5th, work could be brought in between 11 and noon, but we start hanging the show at noon. So, and then we have um, entry forms available at the gallery. We also have a description of the show, a call for entry, that's up on our website, which is cornergalleryukiah.com. It's also on the website for the Arts Council of Mendocino County. And it's also, uh, there are printed copies available at the desk in the gallery. Going ahead in time, uh, so you have already planned something for November. Yeah, the November show is going to be something that we have never done before. It is a group of indigenous people from actually from five counties at least who've been getting together monthly and now weekly for about half a year to create art on the theme of our safety, our sovereignty. So they, they chose that theme and they want to talk about two really, really important issues for them, one of which is the safety of their people. There have been way, way, way too many Native people abducted and murdered in this county and like all over California, mm -hmm. like all over the country, actually. Yeah. There's one aspect of the show that's going to focus on trying to heal and, and deal with this topic. And that will probably be half of the show. And then the other half that they really wanted to focus on is, the, is their sovereignty because of their history and what was done to them by our government. Their language, their culture, their food, everything was taken away from them. And they were actually punished for using their language or dancing their dances. So they're very proudly reclaiming all of it. And so there's going to be story, actually quilts. They're doing art quilts to tell their individual stories of who they are as people of indigenous ancestry. And they're, they're also going to be doing an alphabet quilt, which is something that's done very typically in quilting. But they are doing the Pomo alphabet. So they're using objects that that are important to them from their tradition yeah. and, and their history. So different people are doing different alphabet squares and those will be put together into a quilt and quilted and then raffled off during the month of November to raise money um, for a mural that they would like to do. So this move uh, to do more like social Con conscious yeah. team uh, shows. Is that something new for the gallery? Or? It is, and it, it grew out of the pandemic. And I want to say that's not 100% what the, what the um, art center is doing, but there's a commitment that we want to do at least some shows every year that, that deal with social justice or political issues. It just seems like you can't 
do art in these days without having something to say. And there's, you know, there's shows like The Salon Show, which do not have a social justice or political or environmental theme. Um, we're doing one in January, and the topic is vessels, containers. And that one, obviously, somebody could read into that, that, you know, that it, it could be a political or social or environmental theme, like, you know, the earth is a container. <laughs> Our, our atmosphere is a container, but um, that you know we're, we're not egging people on specifically in that one. But we usually in April we we do something that has to do with the environment because that's the month of Earth Day, and in March we're doing one that'll be d- kind of different. It's called a word about women, and specifically all of the art that comes needs to focus in some way on the printed word but it needs to be about women so and you know our place in this world so i think we might get some really amazing stuff out of that one yeah yeah Yeah. how do people communicate with um with the gallery how do they find more information if they want well we do have a website it's Mm -hmm. um cornergalleryukaya.com and that that is a website that's both for the corner gallery which is the main part of our building and art center ukiah which occupies space in the back of the same building yeah or people can come in and they can find out anything they want when they come in they can see the space and we have information. We have some uh, little handout cards. And where are you located? We are located at 201 South State Street. We are at the corner of Church and State, which is a very good place for a gallery to be. <laughs> <laughs> Not to continue to be political. <laughs> right. <laughs> Interestingly accidental. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Victor. And in part four of Our Waves, Marty Turning talked to artist Doug Johnson from Paperwood Pottery. Doug Johnson owns Pepperwood Pottery, specializing in crystalline, salt-glazed, and custom ceramics. His studio, house, display buildings, and kiln sit on eight acres just outside of Navarro. Driving by the property, you can see a number of beautiful mosaics created with the extensive help of Teresa Brendlin and Gail Burns. Each piece is individually made, glazed, and then fit into a larger scene. Doug's been in Anderson Valley since the early 1970s. He's been experimenting with the ancient art of pottery for even longer. It started in high school, and it was the only thing I liked, and... and, uh... It was kind of actually a funny story. I was uh, I was in my crafts class, and I was always I was a, cl- a class clown, right? I was just uh, always kind of in, not in trouble, but but you know I was just playing around. I, I wasn't really interested in anything, and and I'd been kicked out of the crafts class five times, and the dean said if you get kicked out one more time, you lose your credits and flunk high school. And so there was a ceramics wheel over in the corner, and I went over and started working with it. There was like no I hadn't seen anybody work on it, but I figured I could work on that wouldn't be bothered by anybody they wouldn't be I wouldn't bother them and I just fell in love with it that's an interesting tale yeah so that was 1967 and uh, 
A good friend, I was so into it, a good friend of mine in high school told me his mother was a professional potter. I should go visit her, and we became best friends. Uh, that was still, I was still in high school, and and uh, she was she did burnishware, hand-built burnishware, and, and we'd fire at the beach, and and so I did a bunch of that in my younger days, and and uh, I get that you just needed to do something so you could get to graduation at high school. But what well, attracted you to it? To ceramics? Yeah. Well, you know, my grandmother was a potter, and uh, I don't know if that was part of it, but my grandmother was a potter, and and actually, you can look in that wall over there. There's two plates that she did. This is actually clay that she. Oh dug up from her property. He shows me a whimsically decorated plate. Wow. It's 1951. And, wow. and so she was a, she was a, uh, a potter. She was a, um, a piano teacher. So she, she did, you know, both of that. She did pottery and... Artiste. You know, she was an artist. And, and, uh, and so, I mean, I got, in, when I was a kid, she did hand plates and feet of mine and, and, uh, but I didn't start, like I said, until I was 17 years old. And when you work with clay, every single day you get better at it. It's like you, you start working at it, and every day is better than the last. And, and it's been like 54 years now I've been doing pots, and and uh, and just I just love it. It's just wonderful. And, You've been doing it that long, and how has it kind of unfolded for you? What new things have you done along the way that make it interesting still? You know, it's it's new stuff all the time. The thing about ceramics that is so wonderful and is you could never do all of it in your whole lifetime. There's like so many different aspects of different things you experiment with, and some experiment with stuff all the time. Doug's specialties include crystalline glazes, discovered in France in the 1800s by accident. Zinc oxide and silica form a variety of crystals. Something that I've been working on for 40 years trying to develop and finally just worked the thing out here in the last uh, month or so. Wow, what is that? Well, it's, I, the, the thing I've been noted for for over 45 years is zinc crystalline glazes. And, and so for uh, years and years, crystalline glazes, um, in order to form them, have to be fired on a stand. So you make a separate piece, the glazes are overfired, they fill these stands up. And then at the end of this, you got to cut that blade off there, grind the pieces down. It's a whole lot of work. And uh, and so over the years, I've been trying to develop a way of doing it with a crystalline glaze on top and a stonework glaze down below and stopping before it runs onto the shelf. And over the years, I've, you know, it's come out. I think I think I got it. And then the next load, the whole load will be all stuck to the shelf. You lose all the pots and... You give up on it, <laughs> and so finally, just this last you know month, month and a half, or whatever like that, I've I've actually have figured out where I've got you know kiln load after kiln load now is coming out with the, and so it's not having to use the stands. I can sell these things cheaper, and I'm actually switching over to doing a, a fair amount of uh, small vases anyway right now of slip casting. And slip casting is you take a piece like that that there that piece right there is slip cast. So here, hand it to me. It's a small crystalline vase. So this is so this I threw this the original piece on on my wheel, and I turn upside down and I trim this you know this foot so a little bit of a thing on so I hold on to it, and then I made a mold of it out of plaster, and so to make the mold I built up a box and it had clay in it and the clay went right to the right to the halfway mark of this, and this is up against a, a wall here stopping it from getting downside here, and this was exposed too. But there's all clay around here. And then you pour the top of that with plaster. 
and you let that set up and you flip it over and then you do the same thing again. You take this clay off and wipe it up and, and it's all, and anyway, and so you're pouring a mold and so it's like either a two or a three piece mold that you've made and, uh, you, uh, to get the piece, you, um, so you pull that out of there, you clean the mold up and, uh, and then uh, when it dries, you can fill that up with a wet slip clay. So it's solid clay inside there. The plaster absorbs moisture. And as it absorbs moisture, the clay sticks to the surface. When you get the thickness you want, you pour out the rest of it. And you end up with a sol- uh, you know, hollow piece. And uh, anyway... Um, and that allows you to replicate things? Replicate things and, and not only replicate them, but that I don't have to do them all myself. I'm 72 now and I'm getting older and my I've had a neck surgery now. My lower back, I'm, it's, it's, you know, it's really starting to hurt me. And so I'm, I'm switching over to doing more slip casting and uh, just be, uh, be doing, you know, certain pieces. Uh, well, I'm mean, certain things, bowls and different things. You, I mean, we'll see how it goes, but uh, I, I'm going to do some, I'm going to do more slip casting and, and, uh, and maybe the bigger pieces, you know, throw mm-hmm. bigger pieces. And and then this glaze, that, that's beautiful. That's, that's what I was telling you about. It's a, that's a zinc crystalline glaze. It's zinc oxide grows these crystals and you you may remember the old corrugated metal roof in the galvanizing this is the same thing it's a large quantity of zinc i'm putting in the glaze i fire these up to 2300 degrees i lower it to 2000 and hold it there for numbers of hours and the zinc will separate and do this and and uh it's actually kind of interesting i don't know if there's anything here but uh, you can actually uh, you know form crystals at 2000 degrees and then you can actually lower it to 1,900 degrees, and it will make a different crystal. And so you can actually make halos on, on the crystal, which is, is interesting, too. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow, it's gorgeous. This here is a crystalline glaze, and it goes all the way to the bottom like this. They're fired on a stand like that one on the floor. And so it's a whole lot of different work. you got to, you know, make the separate piece. You glue it on. You fire it like this, and you cut that stand off. You know, you break into it, cut that off, and you got to grind the piece down. Where this stuff here, these mugs and stuff, it's a crystalline glaze on top and a stoneware glaze down below. I'm running this into this, and mm. this is kind of interesting. This here is the same glaze as this. This is iron oxide, and I can put this yellow crystalline glaze back into my gas kiln, burn all the oxygen out around 1,400 degrees. It'll turn to a purple. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the same with the, uh, there's none in here, but in the next room you'll see them. They've got uh, reds that are the same thing. The green green and the red are the same. Well, here's one here. This is, this red here is the same as this green. So in a, in a heavy reduction, this will turn red. And, so that went through it. That went uh-huh. through third firing for that. Another of Doug's specialties is salt glazing, discovered in Germany in the 1200s. Salt is introduced into the kiln at a high temperature and forms a glaze. Doug's salt kiln is made up of over 7,000 hard bricks, burns five cords of wood, and holds about 300 pots. The firing takes 30 to 35 hours at a temperature of 2,400 and takes place only once a year. Another thing I do do is um, salt glazing, which is done in that giant kiln there. That's, that's a kiln, huh? That's a kiln. It's a big wood fire kiln. It's, we only fire it in the winter time. And I haven't actually fired it for a few years. I had neck operation, had a hip operation, had a house built down here, and just kind of kept on putting it off. And 
And so hopefully this December we're going to fire it. And uh, but uh, is it just because it's so hot that you wouldn't do it any other time, or why? Only, we only fire it in the wintertime, in between December first and May first, and and uh, it has to be when the grass is green. And and uh, so like, you'll see pictures down here. There's you know the flames come out the, the top of it and stuff. Doug leads a tour of the property, explaining that the display shelves are emptier than normal because of health problems he's suffered in recent years. This here's an old chicken farm, and this old building here, <laughs> you can see that needs to be uh, patched up here. I got my renter here is going to come and patch this for me, but uh, anyway, uh, this was the grain storage building for the chicken farm. There's uh, 3,000 chickens on the property, evidently, before we moved here. I never saw them, but uh, <laughs> there were buildings everywhere we tore down. and Gave and, you uh, good good soil, too. Actually. <laughs> that's what he says. I, <laughs> that's been a long time ago. So, Oh, gee, they're just beautiful. They really are. What's your feeling toward them? You know, I've been doing these for so long, and um, I just kind of kind of expect them to come out good now, but uh, they, don't, they don't always. Sometimes, you know, something happens that... Uh, you know, what really happens that really screws things up sometimes is I have pyrometers that tell you the exact temperature in the kiln. And the pyrometers don't break. They don't just stop working. They break and go off by 200 degrees. Oh. And then all of a sudden you see you're holding a temperature to form the crystals. And you end up with no crystals. No, not. So, so I, I started firing with two pyrometers. And, uh, but, but right now I'm just I'm firing with one. And it's, it's working out. But, uh, yeah, the, that, that's what... Over the years, that's the one thing that's really screwed up is, is uh, the pyrometer breaks and doesn't break all the way. It just like goes off temperature. And, but I end up buying new ones. Yeah. Frequently. Frequently, yeah, right, frequently, yeah. The tour ends in Doug's studio, featuring potter's wheels, glazes, and unfired pots, delicate, white, and smooth. Although he's improved his cleanup techniques, the studio's difficult to keep clean and can lead to breathing problems through long exposure. Anyway, so I make stuff here, like mugs I stand up throwing, bigger stuff I sit down throwing. I got another one I throw red clay on there. Um, these are different things that, you know, like right now there's no pictures there. So you see, I'm getting some pictures going here. Oh yeah, it's pretty. Roll out slabs for... Uh, Built stuff? Yeah, for the square dishes and stuff that uh -huh. we do. And then this is my glazing area down here. And, and I, I have a... Anyway, just kind of clean stuff up here. It's a bit of a mess. Well... <laughs> it's always a mess. Sure. I mean, it's uh -huh. always a work in progress. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's the dust. So when you're working with the clay when it's wet, it's no problem at all. It's the dust itself. It has uh, silica in it. You know, you know, glass and and uh, you know, getting your lungs and it's it, kind of a COPD. Kind yeah, of yeah, right. And then also um, mixing glazes, the same thing. You're mixing a glaze and it's ground glass and different things. I'm always wearing a mask when I do that. But the room itself, though, that stuff goes up and lands on the floor, and uh -huh. so I mean, yeah. So it is kind of dangerous. <laughs> it is. I mean, yeah. All in the name of art. Uh -huh, right. For Art Waves, I'm Marty Derlin. Thanks for listening to Our Waves here in KCYX, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting.
This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.